Hi, everybody. This is Adam Browse. Today, I'm flying solo without my partner in crime, Scott, here, but we still have a fantastic solution to bring you this week, and I have two guests to introduce you. So do you want to get started? Santa, why don't you go first? What's your name, and where, where are you located, too, right now? <laughs> right. So I'm Santa, and I'm located in Lahti, Finland, currently. Oh, great. And then do you want to go next, Laura? Hello, I'm Laura Benson, and I am uh, work internationally, but based out of Centennial, Colorado right now. Ooh, great. So we have an international call going on. I hope it's not some ungodly hour for you, Santa. It's not like two in the oh, morning, I hope, or something. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, just seven. It's all right. <laughs> okay, seven. That's not too bad. That's not too bad. And this time of year in Finland, it's probably pretty dark, huh? It gets dark already at 3.30, so, so the hour doesn't make much difference on that. <laughs> well, wait, let me go straight. Okay, let me go straight into the solution, and then it'll make sense why we have Sana and Laura with us. So, so the solution is Finnish schools are known by everyone, probably, probably largely because of the PISA tests, the international uh tests where you kind of test various countries' educational systems against each other, and the Finnish score very, very high on the PISA test, and they have consistently over, over, over years. And so everybody knows that Finnish schools are great. There's books about Finnish schools. There's uh, seminars about Finnish schools. You know, if you go anywhere, educators all know Finnish schools are great. And there's a big debate about, you know, why that is and, and kind of things about that nature. So the solution is, why don't we just start of we have freedom of education in this country in America why don't we just start either a charter or private school or even an experimental public school that just adopts the finnish style of education why don't we just do that and just it doesn't have to be like some widespread thing it could just be one school or two or or 10 i mean the country is huge we have 330 million people let's have Let's have a, a dozen and see and see how they operate and maybe try them in different, you know, environments and, and who knows. Anyways, that's the idea. We don't have Scott here to shoot it out of the sky and be like, you know, what? how's that even, how's that even a thing? But maybe we can kind of talk through it and, and we can kind of explain. So why, why have I brought you all to talk about, to talk about this? So what, maybe you guys can say a little bit about your backgrounds and why you're the perfect people to explain you know, why this is going to work or not work. Right. Well, first of all, I guess you can never take an education system as such anywhere. And that's why we work together, Laura and, and I and our, the organizations and companies behind us. So um, I'm uh, the head of school concepts in Lumo Education from Finland. And I'm an educator from my background. So um, I have experience of working as a teacher in Finland and outside of Finland. And after my teaching career, together with my colleagues, um, we started to think that, well, um, we need to take this everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> take this show on can the road. Be yeah. How interesting. So Lu it's called Lumo Education. Right. Okay. So Lumo Education, that's the company. And Laura, you, were, you also work for Lumo, is that right? No. Oh, no. Okay, great. 
I work for International School Services. It's a nonprofit, almost 70 years old now, serving international educators and schools around the world. Oh, how cool. So what's the relationship between LUMO and your organization? Yeah, we're in a partnership together to uh, bridge and utilize our, our strengths and assets and our vision for progressive education and exactly as you were sharing, Adam, to make the finished pedagogy more available to more educators around the world. International schools are a great platform to be innovative because we're not under you know um, a lot of mandates. We are accredited and we have standards we adhere to and live, but we have the uh, autonomy to build schools with a sense of mission uh, and less mm, bureaucracy, if you will. Uh, this is my 45th year in education and I've worked internationally and I've worked in the United States a lot. Um, and one reason I went to work for International School Services is just I kept butting my head up against the wall here in the States, just trying to do what are, you know, natural things like teaching reading comprehension in addition to teaching phonics and vocabulary and grammar and wanting to give kids a voice in their own education. And I think both LUMO and ISS, we trust teachers. And that's a really big tenet of why Finnish education goes so well is there's a lot of trust and a lot of um, freedom and responsibility given to educators in Finland. And we'd like to see that happen in more schools. Wow, that's really inspiring. So that's one. So yeah, maybe we can kind of for, you know, because we, we, you know, I'm, I'm an educator as well. And I've always admired what I've read. And I've read a couple of books on the Finnish education system and whatnot. But for our listeners, maybe we can just back up a little bit and say, like, what, what, you know, first of all, what are the evidence that the Finnish education system is what, what makes it stand out? And then what, what are some of the facets that that then explain or, or, or are pointed at and said, well, this is why it, it, it succeeds so well? All right. Well, you already mentioned the PISA test by OECD. So this is the program for um, international assessment for uh, students. And Finland has scored really high on those tests for decades, uh, always in the top 10. And what makes Finland, Finland uh, different from some of the other top scorers like Singapore, um China and so on uh, is that uh, the student happiness is also very high so the students not only score high but they are happy about their life and are happy to be at school so that's the sweet spot that Finland has found is to have high quality education together with student happiness and Finland is also different from these other top scorers in the fact that the instruction time is half almost or, or much less than than the other um, other in the other countries. So the students spend less time at school. They have more breaks, less homework, and still they reach almost the same results. Wow! So, so it's not just like it's not just that you're you're putting the kids through like the meat grinder of like an educational gulag. And then of course mm -hmm. this, the scores are really high, right? It, it, it's more like 
it's almost like a magic trick, right? Like the kids are they're <laughs> having, they're loving their life and they only have a, a little bit of homework and they only go to school for, for less hours of the day and yet they still achieve a really high um, level yeah. of, of learning. That's amazing. Yeah. And so what are some of the uh, sort of explanations of that that people point to? Right. Yes, that's maybe a misunderstanding sometimes. People think that, okay, so in Finland, children just play and have breaks and, and there's no rules and no curriculum specified or anything. But that's not true. It's a very structured system, but it's built on trust, like Laura said, um, a lot. And individualized learning. Uh, is the key. And I think this is maybe part of why the children also feel happy at school, because they are learning at the right level and being supported with their special needs. We we don't call, we call every child as a, as a, as a child who has special needs. It's not just those who struggle with learning necessarily. We consider that everyone has their own needs and we try to find a way to support those. Um, so what, yeah, so what are so maybe break that down for me. So there's less homework than maybe in Singapore or Korea or or Shanghai or something. Some of these other high PISA test uh, scores. Um, but are, is there like less homework than American students? Like what what's our kind of what would be the? Can you throw out some numbers? What would what's kind of the comparative number of hours kids go to school and and hours of homework they have relative between America right. and Finland? Right. So in Finland, in primary school, the school days would be about five hours, uh, five to six hours long. But the students have 15 minutes of break, break time um, for every 45 minutes of instruction. It doesn't mean that every lesson is 45 minutes, but that's the ratio. Um, and that's why the learning maybe becomes more effective. It is studied that our brain needs this off time, that's the way the brain processes any new information. So during the school day already, the students get these mini breaks all the time. And we consider that as learning time, actually. We, we, we say that our lessons are 60 minutes and it includes for 50 minutes of, of break. But that's considered learning time. It's, it's necessary to process the the information and to learn better and remember the things you learn and be able to apply it. Um, homework time in in uh, first grade through third grade would be something like 15 minutes to 30 minutes a day. And the purpose of homework is to learn to take responsibility of your learning, like oftentimes for first graders, for example, the homework is really just that they learn to mark their homework, take the right books home, bring them back. So it's not like a folder or a pile of work that the parents have to help at home during the weekend to return it on Monday kind of thing, as I know in many countries it is. So it's really something that the children are supposed to manage themselves. And, and to take responsibility of. Excellent. So there's a big diff there, a big difference between mm -hmm. the amount of homework and and also it sounds like the intensity of the homework. I mean, it sounds like mm. the intensity is much more 
realistic? Is that, <laughs> I hate to call American <laughs> education some, sometimes unrealistic, but but it seems like it is. Like you said, the parents might have to help just to do the homework in, in America in a lot of cases. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a question of authentic practice and honoring play as part of learning Asana saying. And, and I think in, uh, there's a lot of research that's come out fairly recently in the last handful of years about the transfer of an impact of homework on student learning. And there isn't necessarily a lot, uh, partly because a lot of the homework represents busy work and it represents, mm. you know, just filling out worksheets of, uh, you know, math problems that they've already shown that they know how to do, for example. Uh, so you try to engage the kids in an edifying, authentic practice and let them be children too. Um, part of that, like Sana's saying, is just implementing the brain research we know from, from Adam Grant or from books like Brain Rules that in order to really learn and have it go into long-term memory and be impactful and transformative, we have to have uh, these breaks. Adults and kids need this, actually. So the idea is utilizing the time in a way that works better with human biology, to tell you the truth. So both in-school practice and at-home practice should be reflective of these are children. They need to move. They need to be playing and exploring. They need to be working from their own curiosity. And the, the idea of um, exactly as you're seeing, Adam, it's not a gulag sort of situation <laughs> or that you're trying to follow the child. The son is saying a huge hallmark of Finnish education is personalized learning. And the idea is you really get to know each child individually. Each child even has a team of adults that focus on following and supporting that child's growth over the course of each school year. That's uniquely different um, than a lot of schools. And, and the idea of these are all of our students and the idea of getting to know each child as an individual with very authentic assessments such as observations and taking anecdotal notes mm. uh, while we talk with the children during learning, not just the assessments that take us up, keep us up till 1230 and one o'clock in the morning, and then we give them back their papers and we don't see any transformation from that kind of feedback. We want to create a culture of feedback where they get an understanding of what they can do right now and what they need to do next to grow. And that's a huge part of the pedagogy that LUMO and ISS advocate in our schools. How cool. Yeah, I've heard, I heard, uh, I've, there's a lovely phrase that I've heard, which is education structure is cumulative, but its intent is transformative. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of, you have to kind of hold a paradox in your head as an educator. Right. If you just are yeah. always trying to accumulate knowledge in the student, you'll actually fail at educating them very right. well. But if you mm -hmm. only focus on sort of, wild transformational experiences and you have no curriculum and you have no structure and you have, then you'll also fail. So you have to do this interesting exactly. sort of kind of a kind of ghost in the machine, you know, you kind of have the machine, but then it also has this soul of transformation. How right, right. cool, how cool. I, I can also, I can toot my own horn a little bit here and, and tell you guys that I'm actually starting a college that's, that's called, that's called Elton college. And it is almost, it's almost, I mean, I think we all end up in the same place when you follow the science. I mean, it sounds like what, what Laura said is what we're really doing is following 
evidence-based education. We're following science. Mm-hmm. We're following brain science, psychology, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and so we all end up in a similar place, even though I, I'm not, I don't have any training in Finnish education. But anyways, yeah, we, we're doing a personalized education as well. So how, so that's so interesting to hear it like a team of adults. Because in, in American education, it's like you throw all the students into a kind of hopper and then you kind of throw challenges at them and you sort of throw information into that hopper too. And then you just kind of see what kind of titrates out at the end. You kind of see what <laughs> drips out, you know, uh, and some of it's good and some of it's bad, you know, because of a million circumstances, right? But what you're saying is almost like almost like more of a hospital where it's like you have patients and then you have a team of care around each of those patients and each patient has a different disease <laughs> and a different sort of setup <laughs> and they need different care and then but then that team of experts is like really making sure that patient is is healthy it's really a, a total uh switch inter- institutionally yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah in in a way you could say that um for example we don't have admission tests uh to schools in finland and the whole idea is that we don't think that the child somehow has to be ready for the school. Right. We, we, we flip that the other way around, that the school has to be ready for the child. Oh, my God, I love so, that. So the whole idea is that we have to find the ways to support this child, not that the child needs to come half perfect to the school yeah. and be ready first for first grade when they come. No, we want to... The idea is that we as a school and educators need yeah. to learn what is special about this child and who can support and how. So it's a whole different uh, way of, of thinking. I've heard the phrase, students don't fail schools. Schools fail students, <laughs> right? Exactly. But, but the way you're saying it, I love it way out at the beginning. I mean, that's at the end of the process. You're saying at the mm-hmm. very beginning of the process, to make to make it to make an analogy to medicine again, it's like doctors turning away patients because they're not healthy enough to cure. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy <laughs> to think, and yet and yet we have such a sense of, um, yeah. What is that underneath? I mean, what is that underneath? I mean, you all must butt up against this all the time because you're always talking to people who are in education mm-hmm. who think, of course, we should have admission standards. Right. Of course, there mm-hmm. should be a kind of high water mark that you have to kind of get over before you enter our school. What, like, first of all, what is that? Where, do, where is that coming from culturally? Do you think? And and mm-hmm. and what is the way that you can kind of undo that and get them to flip and see that and see yeah. that? You know, is there is there kind of a silver bullet there or like where? <laughs> yeah, where is that coming from? It's so strange. Maybe, is, it, is it Lutheranism? Yeah. I mean, is it like Protestantism or something? You know, like you're not allowed to get into heaven unless you're good enough or something. I mean, what is that? It's inclusivity. Yeah. It's, inclusivity. it's, it's uh, you know, there's a lot of DEIJ efforts or DEIJB for belonging. Uh, I think that's one of the things that I'm always really inspired by and uplifted by. I love working with my Finnish colleagues because there is a genuine, authentic depth to their inclusivity. And there's an acceptance of each person. So it's compassionate triage. You know, as you embrace people into your community, kids and adults in a school, you accept exactly as Sana said, wherever they are is, is perfect. That's where they need to be. Part of it is, uh, and Sana can add to this massively, it's a developmental approach that you accept where people are developmentally 
and you work with them. And that means we also understand development. We understand learning. And we, uh, without negative judgments, you embrace and accept and honor where, where a child is in their development or where an adult is. One of the things Sana and I do a lot is also learn with and, and um, help educators learn. You know, we do a lot of professional learning. So whether we're talking about kids or adults, be inclusive and embrace, as Sana said early on, everybody's bringing strengths to the table. Everybody's bringing unique gifts. And the idea is that everyone belongs. I could maybe add some some history to, to this. Uh, why Finland? Because that's something that people also always ask. Like, why one Scandinavian country has, has this way of thinking? So um, education system in Finland was not like this always. There was a big reform in 50s. Uh, which was after the war. Finland suffered a very heavy war in the 40s. And after that, we had a civil war. And the, the nation was very torn apart. So um, it, it was seen that, okay, a way to unite uh, people, we need to have a good education system. And because we are a very small nation, only 5 million people, with no natural uh, resources next to this big giant uh, Russia, uh, we needed to find a way to use all the human capital there is. Five million people, no resources, uh, natural resources. So it was thought that, okay, we cannot waste one single person. We have to make every citizen become the best they can. And that's where, this whole idea somehow comes from that we need to support every individual. We cannot have a standardized system because in a standardized system, you always lose <laughs> some. Mm. It's ne- it can never be for everyone. Uh, wow. And that's why um, I think that system has developed in this way. So it's um, a kind of, a, there's sort of a philosophy of universalism. Mm, sort of, in a yeah. way. I have. I'm a unit. I was raised Unitarian Universalist, so I have yeah. to be. Are you, maybe Sanam, you might not know that religion. That's a weird American religion. Laura probably has heard of it. They make fun of it on The Simpsons all the time. <laughs> okay. But it's a weird religion. It believes everyone goes to heaven no matter what. Isn't that weird? Sort of no, like sort of like your that. admissions admissions. Uh, everyone gets in. <laughs> what does Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I wonder, yeah, I always think in America there's this underlying, and you guys can kind of, I guess people can think what they like about it, I don't know. I always feel like in America, and this isn't a, this isn't a crazy idea, but I mean, there's this history in America of Puritanism, where, you know, of Calvinism, which really means that some people are predestined to go to heaven and some people are predestined to go to hell. And, and so people look around and they say, well, that guy's poor and looks like crap, well, he must be going to hell, and that guy's committed a crime independent of the circumstances he committed a crime well he's probably going to hell too then right but i'm i'm great and i'm i I dress nice and i'm clean and and i've never committed a crime anyone's caught me doing and so i must be going to heaven you know and so there's this kind of this kind of differentiation between those who are sort of the damned and the blessed and it seems crazy to think that in our sort of secular scientific society that that mentality is actually underlying a lot but i really think it does i think it really underpins a lot of what 
of what is going on in America uh, and how America, like I live in San Francisco and you just sort of step over homeless people as you walk through the city. And it's, it's, it's incredibly uh, psychically painful for them, but also psychically painful for the rest of us because we don't take adequate care. And I always wonder about that, like what the cultural, but, but I want to get back to, you said, so it was a civil war in Finland and you needed to sort of, heal the country you needed to kind of bring it together mm. and people knew who was on each side of the civil war but everyone exactly. looked finished so there was no difference in the way people looked <laughs> right but you knew you knew oh well that neighborhood mm. they're not this neighborhood and that neighborhood don't they don't see eye to eye because let me let me give you guys some of the more heart kind of cynical hard-hitting so i did a little i've done research about this stuff very casual, I should say, very serious, double-blind, controlled study research. I went and talked to a bunch of people that I know and just asked them questions. Um, but here's the cynical thing, okay? So I say to people, I'm a bit of an idealist, you know, or not idealist, but I'm a little, I believe in science, and I think you all are using science in this incredible way. And so I say to people, well, why don't we just start a Finnish school in America, you know? And the first answer is of is very cynical. It's Finland is not like America. America is highly, you know, Finland is, is, is homogenous. America is diverse economically and racially and culturally. Mm. And therefore, just therefore, QED, that's why Finland's system is able to work and how, why it could never be applied in America. Right. I hope you guys hear that. In some ways, you might be such nice people that no one's willing to be so cynical right to your faces. <laughs> or are they willing to do it, Laura? Do they come right at you? But that's what people say to me because just, they just look at me and they say, this guy can take it and they just, you know, they go for it. What, what, so what's, what's the answer to that sort of, you know, oh, it only works because Finland has no poverty because they have a strong social welfare system mm -hmm. and they have hom social, homo you know, homogeneity, racial homogeneity, cultural homogeneity. And that's why you can have this sort of kumbaya, everyone hold hands and sort of take care of each student. And then, you know, but in America, you don't understand. We have the blessed and demand. We have the the damned and the blessed, right? We have the poor and the rich and the structurally racist racism against, you know, different people and, right? Yeah, this is a very typical comment. I've also heard this from, from Americans, especially, but all over the world. Um, I think the fact that the background of the reform in Finland was like, like I was explaining before, we might look very similar, all of us, but coming from, from that war, the nation was very divided um, at that moment. And uh, it all, that's maybe also why, why trust is so crucial in the whole education system and why it was about building trust in the society and education was somehow that the tool for that and and um i think that's that's an important aspect um another thing is that i don't know if it's necessarily a racial issue or uh in finland we don't see it maybe that way because we all look the same we just see children and oftentimes like Nowadays in Finland, we do have uh, uh, a lot of immigrant students in many schools too. And oftentimes I've even experienced this as a teacher myself. Some of the, the local Finnish, teacher, Finnish uh, students have similar needs as the immigrant students. And an immigrant uh, student might be a high achiever that needs really 
different kind of instruction than like it's it's really not about the race or the background if you're immigrant or born in Finland it's it's more about the individual capacities and strengths and weaknesses that 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 the students have and and finding those um those things yeah and i think culture does count and matter to us so we do try to think about um as we move this pedagogy into a variety of countries and cultures around the world are there um Uh, respectful, responsive ways we need to adjust our our programming or our curriculum. A uh, big way that we work to contextualize, culturally contextualize uh, what we're doing is making sure that uh, children see themselves in the curriculum and the text, both racially, ethnically, age, things that they're interested in. Um, so you do that That's actually inherently a big part of our pedagogy is uh, to think about the cultural context, all the things that Sana said being absolutely true. And then if there, you know, um, maybe it's a culture where uh, <clears throat> families are more involved. Uh, like, for example, in China, uh, for parent-teacher conferences, we might have two chairs set out for the parents coming But we soon found we needed to have six or eight or ten chairs because the whole family comes. Oh, yeah. Grandmas and grandpas, aunties and uncles. Mm. Uh, so, you know, once we uh, have had a chance to work with our colleagues in that country, we try to think about what is the best way to translate our pedagogy so that it builds on uh, the assets and the, 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 the local culture. Right. Uh, rather than in any way deteriorating it or saying that it's less than. Right, right. If it's a school where English is a language of instruction, for example, we make sure that there are books and opportunities for the children to continue to grow their mother tongue languages and to read and write in their mother tongue, translating parent information into multiple languages, because we very much want to come convey our belief in multilingualism being a huge asset, a huge blessing. Right, right. And that one language or one culture uh, is not more important than another. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I think I, I, I think we've addressed the kind of racial and cultural aspects. What about just the poverty aspect? In America, we just allow, and, and this is by design. I, I mean, I, I always try to insist to people that in a wealthy country, Poverty is by design. It can't. It can't be otherwise, right? Because we design societies. Societies built intentionally by powerful people, and we have poverty, which means the powerful people have allowed there to be, you know, twenty, thirty percent of people to just be kind of sol, right? Um, for for Sana, that that means shit out of luck, <laughs> just just sort of screwed, and and uh, and so, anyways, we have that in America. I don't know what. I mean, I don't think the answer is necessarily. This system, you know, you can get a great education even if you don't have food when you get home. Maybe you can't. Maybe you just can't get a great education when there's poverty there. But I just wanted to kind of throw that to you because I think that's what I hear when I ask people, well, why don't we start a Finnish school in America? And people go, ah, oh, it'll never work because America has poverty. And Finland just illegalized poverty through having this fantastic welfare system. 
Well, one thing is uh, LUMO and ISS have developed a system of schools called CISU schools. CISO's uh, Finnish, um, you know, tradition of grit and resilience. Uh, and we very much, we just had a chance to meet together last month in Portugal and talk more about this. We want these programs to be available to more people across economic uh, realities. And uh, we want to make sure that um, our mission is to serve and to serve uh, educators and families and children around the world. So we work hard on thinking about making this more economically accessible to people as well as culturally accessible. And that again is through this joint project we have called CSU Schools. Yeah, that's ultimately uh, also why why we are together in this call, me and Laura, and why LUMO Education and ISS work so closely together. We wanted to make a model that takes the best of or both worlds or all the all the different countries, but with the Finnish education at the core. Uh, but at the same time, like I uh, I was saying in the beginning, you cannot export the Finnish system as such. And like you were questioning that, well, it works in Finland, but does it work in America? And my answer is, if you take just exactly the Finnish school to America, no, it will not work. You need to change some things. Like Laura said, you need to have this multilingual approach um in in all aspects of the school and learning there's a lo- whole lot of other things that need to be um need to be localized in a way uh mm-hmm. and in in CISU schools we've tried to take the best that's awesome uh, best of, of Finland, you have, the, the Finnish system and are American there any system. are there any schools that Lumo and, and ISS is supporting in the United States right now in the United States not yet but, Not yet, um, but you just wait until our audience hears this podcast. <laughs> all 50 of those people will all decide to start <laughs> Finnish schools in America. <laughs> You're happy to talk to anybody, yeah. You're happy to talk to everyone. That's awesome. I, I'll give a strong, I think I'll give as strong as answer I can to, to those questions that I asked you, which I think are very, very cynical, but also they're what's in the minds of Americans. Because Americans can be quite cynical about America, uh, um, especially maybe maybe those on on the left. I think can be quite even more cynical in a way than people on the right. Because the, the people on the right get kind of these stars in their eyes. Oh, let's make America great again, right? But people on the left don't actually say that. They're actually quite real, kind of almost pessimistic about America. Often, you know, oh, we have this terrible history of slavery, and oh, we have this terrible, all these terrible social issues. You know, so because they know so much about how rough it is, they actually get a little bit cynical about what's possible. Mm. So anyways, part I think there is a lot more possible than people think, but 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 one answer that I gave people that I think is is the best answer is America is extremely regionally diverse uh economically and schools only need to have like I don't know 50 students, right? So you or even 200 students, you can find a neighborhood in America that's all affluent people who are all one race. I mean, if, even if it were a requirement to have homogeny, you have that. You have that. It's called suburbs. You know what I mean? Like there are places in the world, in the country where, you know, you could start a successful school like this and it would be a, a fantastic, you know, blossoming of educational you know, philosophy and, and science. And I think, anyway, so I think people, pe- what people jump to is, could I start a public school in the, the wrong side of the tracks in Cincinnati? And it's like, no, <laughs> you, 
<laughs> maybe you know like that's not the first thing you go for you know but could you start a school i'm from madison wisconsin which is like a somewhat affluent sort of edu highly educated city there's a university yeah. and there's professors kids there who are floating around the city you know and you know could you start a a uh, finished school in, in in Sherwood Hills in Madison, Wisconsin, which is like this little nice, you know, affluent neighborhood of university professors and doctors' kids. You know, yes, of course, and it would be like a fantastic school. So, so I I, I kind of want to bring people a little bit down to earth and be like, yeah, like sure, maybe we can't institute this overnight as you know the system of education in America, but could you start a small school and would that be a meaningful movement? towards better education overall yes clear clearly yes i think mm -hmm. i agree and and i believe the CISO schools model that we have it would work um anywhere we have school in mexico we have school, a school coming in in macau so very different environment culture everything um but um it still works um, and very different kinds of neighborhoods and very different kinds of um, areas, uh, just like you were describing that you can find inside America. So. Right. Oh, excellent. Yeah, I mean, it's almost, I mean, to some extent, what you all are saying is we're calling it Finnish style schooling. But, but what I'm hearing you, I, I wrote a book called Motivate, which is a, it's a book all about evidence-based educational methodologies to increase learner motivation. Okay. And it was all evidence-based. So every chapter is a different evidence-based tool for increasing learner motivation. Because it seems like motivation is kind of the most important thing because the student has to kind of want, you know, be motivated to, to learn. So I was like, oh, well, let's just put motivation at the heart. But what you're describing as the Finnish system and, and you're kind of labeling it Finnish, 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 it really just sounds mm -hmm. like you're just using science. You're just using evidence-based education largely. Are, are there elements that are not necessarily evidence-based yet, but are purely sort of Finnish culture that are, that do make it really Finnish? Or is it just strong evidence-based educational? I think you're absolutely right there. Um, and Finland has really borrowed from all over the world in a way. I, I think there's very little of what is Finnish. It's just that we've done it in practice really maybe taken the leap of faith to really do what the evidence says and mm -hmm. um, i often say that we try to do uh, when it comes to curriculum for example we try to do the right things at the right time like laura was also uh, explaining earlier that we really uh, studied the development psychology when do children usually uh, learn to read what is the best age to start literacy instruction and and maybe we shouldn't enforce all the children to start learning sounds at the age of three yes some are ready for that at the age of three but many are only ready at the age of seven and it's all about that personalized learning that you need to find out which child is ready at the age of three and which child is ready at the age of seven if you try to force that child who would who would be ready at the age of seven, try to force too early. They will be unmotivated, start hating school. Uh, it comes to the motivation that you mentioned. So it really is about this, this um, evidence and, and um, research that we use and we really then follow, follow that. 
they say uh when's the best time to do a rain dance mm-hmm. right before it rains. <laughs> <laughs> so right. and, and laura i want to let you if you want to you want to weigh in if you seem leaning forward what did you have something to weigh in on the science question uh no i just oh, yeah. I, i'm fascinated i just ordered your book that's oh yay good i hope <laughs> everyone else does too it's a great book it's fun to read too it's not just a you know a bunch of boring stuff it's fun well i know i think you're onto a lot of wisdom there that uh we have to help people want to grow and blossom and we have to pay attention to what ignites their energy and their sense of belonging and part and wanting to um, participate. Uh, and I think the whole idea, one thing that I will say is just the honoring of children's voices and their choices matter, as as do teachers. I think that's one of the things Sana and I are really compelled by and try to nurture is honoring teachers as the decision makers and letting children co-create curriculum with us. Uh, because those are huge motivators. And I I think you're absolutely right. Motivation is key to everything. But it also means for me, I get to know those people well. So what does motivate them? What's um, What are their strengths? What are their curiosities? Um, how can I honor that? And the other thing we do with that is once you get to know people, you know, the kids take over the lesson sometimes. We do a lot of in-house professional learning um, you know, the answer is often in the room, and the idea mm-hmm. is that everybody is a co-learner, everybody's a co-teacher, uh, and if we can really capitalize um, on the human beings that are in our community and work together uh, to build our community, give everyone a voice, uh, I think it helps to live some of the things I think that are profiled beautifully in your book. Yeah. Yeah. And almost when when we think about it scientifically, and and you really think that this is really since the year 2000 or so, we've really seen evidence-based education, you know, large controlled studies of that multiple thousands of students with controls and, and, you know, large sample sizes, you know, you know, to say, to say, oh, uh, one country using its, its, granted, it's a small country, which actually made it probably a little more agile and able to sort of make this decision, yeah. was able to say, well, let's just take all the actual, the fruits of all this science and let's put it in practice. And guess what? It works. Like, of course it does, you know? <laughs> of course it does. It's like if you took all the science of electromagnetism and you put it together, you'd make, you know, telephone systems and, and satellites and computers and stuff. You wouldn't be surprised. You wouldn't be like, wait. All that electromagnetic science makes electromagnetic technology? Of course it does. That's what science (laughs) does. Science makes technology. And you also wouldn't say, well, this computer was built in a very culturally homogeneous society with great economic equity, and therefore this computer will not work. In a, in a place where it's like, no, it's, a, it's using the systems of electromagnetism, which are universal. It's, you know, and, the, and these, it, sound, it, sound, it seems to me, when I reviewed the sort of Finnish system, I was like, this is not culturally Finnish in some, you know, mm-hmm. excent, eccentric, yeah, sort of eccentrically culturally Finnish. This is just the Finns have been willing to actually use science to make their education systems better. They just happen to be the first country to do this. 
uh, I mean, I, 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 there's probably a medical analogy to, you know, the first hospital to adopt hand washing, you know, the first <laughs> hospital to adopt, you know, uh, radiology examinations instead of just sort of palpating you and sort of cutting you open when they wanted to know what was inside of you. I think part of that is uh, the science and then also just looking at what works to nurture learning and growth. And so I would say in a nutshell, uh, what we try to do is develop learning programs that are apprenticeships, you know, where you live with um, a room full of mentors, really, but you live with a teacher who deprivatizes learning and thinks aloud and demonstrates how to how to do that skill or engage in that process. And reciprocally, the children then become our teachers and teachers for each other. Mm. But that apprenticeship model um, keeps, you know, if we look back in time, the apprenticeship would uh, demonstrate and think aloud for the person they were, for, for their mentee. And that happens a lot within our schools. You know, there's just a lot of collaborative, collaborative learning, but a lot of uh, dialogue to debrief yeah, and metacognition yeah. to reflect on what worked. And so you take that science, but you put it in what might feel like to some people old world uh, uh, thinking of an apprenticeship, but that's very much what it is, that everyone is willing to help each other out and make the learning more public. There was, for me, when I was growing up, there was a lot of gotcha factors. You know, there was, uh, I was given the assignment for a ninth grade term paper, and I had never been given a term paper as a birthday present. I never read one. No one ever walked me through it. But I was expected, because now I was in ninth grade, to be able to do a term paper. Worst birthday present ever, by the way. <laughs> term paper birthday present. Worst birthday present ever. <laughs> so, but I mean, you know, I've been given nonfiction. I've been given poetry. Right. I had read fiction. So I had been immersed in these other kinds of genres and other kinds of literacy. So it's it's just changing and thinking about what works, implementing that and leaving out what doesn't work. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, that's, the weird, also, that, that's the weird thing in America is you're not allowed to just stop doing what doesn't work and you're not allowed yeah. to just start doing what does work. You're not allowed. It's like, hey, we found out that this doesn't work. Like keep doing it forever. <laughs> it's like, what? Why? Why? What? What? Like angel or like is forcing us to like do this stuff that doesn't work anymore? Yeah. You always have to have a don't do list as well as your to do list. Right now, oh, right, it's, right. It's like that old expression: fitting five pounds into a four-pound bag. We keep trying to do that, especially in the states with our schools. And I think added, it goes to a lot of what you were saying about the cynicism. It's also coming from a competitiveness. We're a highly competitive culture. Right. And if we think we're doing better than somebody else, somehow that makes us feel better, whether that's poverty or schooling or housing or dress or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing I love about Finnish pedagogy is it's, it's more equity. They really, really work hard on making our programs equitable and accessible to everyone. Mm. I think one thing that we try to think always is that, in a way, uh, making things more simple rather than adding things, like always thinking, does this enhance learning? Like, for example, give more homework. Does it make the students learn better? No, then let's not give more homework. Um, 
for example, um, school inspection. Is it studied that they enhance the student's learning? Um, there can be many opinions about that, but we don't have uh, in Finland or in CISO schools uh, school inspection. We make sure that the quality is high in other ways because we believe that this inspection culture uh, is not a culture of trust. And like Laura was saying, we believe that we need to support the teachers in, a, in another way. Same with students. Is a standardized testing a proof of high quality learning? Or is there another way that the children can show what they know? That is, is a different type of culture. And I think this is what many companies do nowadays too. There are those old line organizations where everyone is accountable to somebody and you have to fill in reports. But do those reports really enhance the, the quality and, and the productivity? Maybe they take a lot of effort. And it's the same in education too. Like if the teacher has to spend a lot of time filling reports to somebody, all that time is away from learning about the children and their special needs and making learning materials for those needs. So we try to take all this, this kind of extra work away from the teachers and the students so they can focus on learning, learning only that. That's their main purpose. Not writing report cards. Yeah. Yeah. How boring. How boring. I, you know, I'm, I'll throw in a little bit of a weird kind of idea. You know, I've worked in a few corporate environments, uh, and I've started a few companies and, and kind of thought about how can I, how should I manage, you know, the, the people, you know, and, and actually, you know, actually corporate environments are exactly like a finished school. A lot of times mm -hmm. you get a man, each person has a manager who knows exactly what your goals are and exactly what your job is and exactly what you need. Right. And then, and then mm -hmm. they may be better or worse at their job, but, but it actually is a one-on-one -on -one personalization. Right. And there's expectations of you that maybe are generalized. You know, you're a salesperson, therefore you must get, you know, $200,000 in sales every month or whatever. So there's some kind of metrics, but, but how you do that and how, and what your motivation is and why you want that job and why you, how you sell and your skill and ability at sales. I'm just picking sales, but it could be anything, customer service, mm -hmm. software engineering, whatever. Um, you know, it actually is pretty custom because, because here's the thing, America is really good at running corporations that make a ton of money. <laughs> right, right. It's really good at it. That's what we did. That's America. That's America. You know, we got to make money. We got to run corporations, right? So, so I wonder if actually there isn't a way. Of, and, and you know, but educators generally haven't experienced a corporate job, a corporate mm -hmm. environment. They usually have been inside of educational environments, which are not corporate, and actually are not as good. They're not as well managed, mm -hmm. and they're not as well run usually. So, anyways, there might even be a way where. We, we are actually, a lot of the, and corporations, by the way, are also more excited to take on evidence-based strategies because <laughs> it, it contributes to their profit margins if they use the evidence-based strategies. So uh, anyways, I think, I think medical schools and corporations are actually implementing more evidence-based educational science than schools are. Because, <laughs> right? That, yeah. Med true. Medical schools do it because people die, right? Like people, everyone wants medicine <laughs> to get better, right? Because death, it, it, yeah. you know, you can see it very clearly. But when a student just doesn't get educated, you can't see it as clearly. It's not as black and white. 
But when a patient mm-hmm. dies, it's like, well, ooh, we got to do that better. You know, <laughs> we got to do appendicitis better because everyone's dying of it, you know. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. so. And another thing is that change in education takes time. Uh, maybe in med- <laughs> medical, you can always see very quickly the resource of the medicine work yeah. or not. But in education, it takes decades. Like in Finland, the reform started in the 1950s. And in 2000, it takes 50 years to start to really see yeah. the, 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 get the yeah. big data. Well, of, there of also wasn't the science, works. right? I mean, 1950, they didn't have evidence-based education. Mm-hmm. So everything was just being done on hunches, you know, and sort of tradition, mm-hmm. you know, sort of what maybe will work. But now, now we have all this wonderful science. But a lot of the studies were available also in the 50s. There's a lot of studies by Piaget, for example, that is still valid today in development psychology that hasn't really changed. It's been just reconfirmed uh, later. But, but of course, you know what might also be preventing this in America now. is actually the Finnish name because a lot of the educational freedom and private school people are right-wing people who don't like socialism, who don't like social mm-hmm. welfare. And so, the, and then, but they're the ones who are want to send their kids to private school and they want to start private schools and stuff. And, and so that might actually in some ways be throwing off the, right, the, the adoption mm-hmm. because they're like, you're going to just turn my kid into like a little Nord, Nordic socialist. <laughs> we don't want that. We want, you know, we want them to be like, you know, this Harvard, you know, <laughs> going, I use Harvard as the example of basically the worst thing an American become a Harvard graduate just doing corporate apology apologetics every day for giant corporations and military industrial complex. Um, yeah. I wonder if that isn't running a little bit of interference. Yeah. It's a, it's a hard nut to crack. I'm, I'm in America, you know, the Finnish, the Finnish brand might actually be, I mean, that would be an interesting experiment is to make a separate brand for America and call it just evidence-based education you know and 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 eliminate the kind of nordic nordic kind of vibe because it might actually scare off the right-wing people you know mm-hmm. uh, that might be okay yeah yeah <laughs> well i mean their children don't know any difference right they're yeah no i know what you mean though it can be kind of distasteful we really do want to include everyone but yeah it's it's, it's hard when the when the lines get drawn so deeply it's uh we stop listening to each other that's not a good thing yeah, I agree. It's it's a challenge, and in America, the challenge is 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 quite painful. It um, is the divisions, but um, hey, maybe it's similar to uh, the Civil War, Finland. You know, <laughs> some, these large divisions. Maybe we could heal it with some personalized learning. Yeah, yeah. it was definitely here too. The socialists and and the, and the right wing at that time too. So there was this big division between the two, and and that was the background. So. There's maybe some similarities in a way. That's interesting. Yeah, there is maybe a similarity there. So what do you guys think? Solution from the multiverse? You think do you think we could do it? I Absolutely. think we could do it. I think we could do at least one. Come on. Definitely. I think we could do Definitely. ten. Jesus, America's huge. We'll let's do with, let's do five. Let's do five just to start. <laughs> one on the East Coast, one on the West Coast, one on the South, one on the Midwest. One in Colorado. Oh, of course, of course. Well, I would love to start one of your guys' schools. If I was, if I wasn't starting my own college and 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 doing all these other things too, then I would I would immediately work with you guys to start one because I think this is so cool. Oh, 
love that. Yeah. yeah. So Thank cool. Evidence-based education. Finish finish education. I think maybe you, you said it, Laura, that maybe one thing that, I mean, there is evidence to say that equity, a focus on equity does improve outcomes and does improve learning. But the inclination to towards equity might be uniquely Finnish culturally. Do you think, Santa, that that's the case? Or do you think Finnish people are hierarchical and sort of culturally, or, or are they kind of equitable culturally? Well, speaking? it is true we're a fairly new, new uh, country in a way. There's not this um, uh, hierarchy maybe in the sense. Hard question, hard to Look say. Look at their prime minister. <laughs> what, what is the Finnish prime minister done well, yeah right yeah what happened laura say again, again. You have a young woman prime minister oh great a very progressive leader so i think that okay. a lot and her cabinet you know and uh, the way that things are decided i i do think there is inherently uh a lot of care for equity in finland from my experience with my colleagues i'm not finished so it's really <laughs> fun to be the expert about this but my own experience has been that there's great care about that. I think the fact of having these um, equal opportunities in education and having this individualized learning and support, it then shows also in the politics, like we have parliament where half are women and half are men without it being forced. It just happens wow. naturally. So um, I think it then builds up. I think education is, is the the way to change the society. Yeah. See, this is why you guys won't get right wingers to start schools in America. If you talk like this, they won't do it. <laughs> oh no. You have to say you we'll have to say no. things. You have to say things like your students will get into Harvard if you do yeah. this educational okay. system, and they go, oh, oh okay, okay, okay. Your students. <laughs> <laughs> Your students be able to beat Children training. Will be happier. That's yeah, the, right. The message. Yeah. No, no. It got to be more it successful. Some... Who cares about ha happiness? Look at their fathers and, and mothers. They're not happy. They're successful. This is America. Just kidding. What, what are you going to say? But this Sarah? is something that um, I experienced as a teacher when teaching abroad in some of the first uh, Finnish schools outside of Finland. That many parents in the beginning they would be a bit suspicious and thinking that. Is this the right way? They would ask their children at home, like, what did you do today? And because the learning is so play-based, they would answer, I played. And then the parents would come come to me and say, so what did you do today? And then I would explain what that game developed and, and so on. But after two to three weeks, when they started to see the change in their children, being more happy, wanting to go to school, they stopped questioning everything. I, I had some parents coming to me saying like, before my child was crying every morning uh, to go to school and now they cry because they're sick and they cannot go to school. So even if they would have these, all these questions and, and, and doubts in the beginning when they start to see that their children are happy, Goes a long There's one other question I was going to ask you guys. I had this question about two, two things. One is, one is you talk about freedom, but it's like the student choice, but it's also pretty, uh, pretty like, um, like pretty well planned kind of what will happen. 
you know, like maybe, you know, maybe they say, well, we're not going to start literacy until they're seven. But what if they don't want to start literacy until they're like 12? Or I don't know, is there, are there kind of boundaries? Because I'm a big fan of like free education, like, like free schooling and unschooling where students really have really truly student initiated learning. Um, and I think there's interesting strengths to that. Um, but maybe it's too extreme. And, and, and then the other question I have is about moral development. So, and I don't think there's very much science around this. But for example, the Waldorf school system very deliberately follows uh, the teachings of Rudolf Steiner, which are not scientific, but they're very compelling um, about how students ought to develop morally through the study of heroes. And, and, and I, just, I just wondered if there's any, like I believe also in America, we have this belief that people should grow this moral fiber of being in, 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 a strong individual and of, of having courage, you know, and for sticking up for yourself and being self-reliant and, and maybe a byproduct of our sort of crappy competitive education system is actually that it does make people like that, uh, at least the people who are able to sort of succeed through it. And so I wonder if there's any, any effort taken to say, you know, through these games or through this curriculum, we're actually going to develop the, the moral characteristics that, that, that we want students to have. Oh. Right. Well, there certainly are some milestones based on, on research of what is a, a typical age for certain skills to to appear and, and when the child is interested in different things. So if a child at the age of, let's say, eight still struggles with literacy, of course, that's a signal for the teacher and this whole team working with the child that, okay, this child needs a different kind of approach and different kind of support. How can the home help? How can the school psychologist help? How can the special needs teacher help? What can the teacher do? So that's, that's what all these um, individual learning plans are all about that are part of our school schools too. Um, so that's one thing. It's not totally free that they can just learn whenever, whatever, and, and, and that there's no worry about anything. Um, but it's all, uh, science based. Um, so that's, that's, um, about the, the goals and milestones. But about the moral education, uh, in CISO schools, uh, the, the schools, um, of course, it uh, can choose the religious education as they as they wish. We respect uh, whatever in each country is is uh, taught. Of course, in Sisu schools, we focus a lot on Sisu grit, uh, so developing this um, uh, resilience, which is is really important in life. We we believe that it's important that the students develop this skill because in, in life you will have hardship and it's important that you learn that it's okay to fail. It's, it's okay to make mistakes. Uh, and and you, the children learn this also as part of this individual learning plan process. That it's okay to acknowledge that, hey, this is my weakness. Oh, I failed here. What am I going to do next to, to develop this? Um, so in Sisu school, the Sisu, the great 
resilience, persistence. I don't know what would be the right English word. Yeah, it's a great word for it. Yeah, grit. That's the famous word that uh, Angela Duckworth popularized, right? right? Yeah, and going to the first point, though, I think it's acting like a pediatrician. And you have to know the developmental milestones to look for to know children are making healthy progress and growth. Mm. So uh, we do have clear um, goals. And uh, but what we do is we use the dash five dash seven years, six dash eight years or, you know, four dash seven months. Uh, you you look for those um, <clears throat> that growth and that proficiency, if you will, um, over time. And as Sana said, if we don't see it, it is a bit of a red flag sometimes that there's more we need to do. So there's your pediatrician, when you take your child there, they do all these measurements and tests because they're trying to monitor the child's healthy progress and growth over time. And likewise, we are too. We we have uh, very distinct things we look for in children's development, uh, physically, mentally, cognitively. And part of that is the moral development. Part of that is character education. And for us, a lot of times it's, it's embraced as the other aspect of finished education we haven't talked about too much yet is just an integrated approach. So, uh, it's, which is really fascinating uh, that things are not siloed as much in finished education. So, social emotional growth and grit and you know CSU and, and resilience are part of every lesson. And as Sana is saying, we step back with the kids and talk about what went well, how we're problem solving, how do we develop our own resiliency when learning is really hard. So as part of our curriculum, moral development, character development, growth, or social emotional learning, whatever way we want to title that, it's a huge part of our curriculum and Mm -hmm. program. And again, it goes to knowing also developmentally what to nurture at, at what time. We don't want to put adult expectations on kids even around the moral education or around academics. Don't expect things that are beyond their capacity at this point in time. Um, I taught first grade for a long time, uh, first and second grade for a long time. There are just certain things that things kids do during those years to explore their own identity and individuality. Some of it is around stealing. (laughs) I mean, they're a thief or anything. They're just exploring being bad where they start writing really sensational pieces about good and bad or monsters, they're trying to work through some things that are developmentally uh, appropriate and needed at that time in their life. And that's the importance of what Sana and I do with teachers as we try, and for ourselves as well, is grow our lenses so that we know what to look for in student work and Mm -hmm. can really monitor and nurture their growth over time. Excellent. How cool. Yeah. I have so many more questions, but I feel like, I feel like we sh- we should just, we should take our, take the win, you know, we should take the W here, uh, but maybe we can talk more in the future. This would be great. That sounds great. That's our, so it. how, so we'll put some, we'll put links and things in the show notes so you don't have to like spell anything out or anything, but just from a general uh, uh, perspective, like, you know, if somebody was listening to this and they were like, this is so cool. I want to be involved more. What should they do? Should they email you and we can put your email addresses mm-hmm. or should they should they go to a certain website and sign up somewhere? Uh, I guess the best place to go would be cecilschools.com, the website. 
okay. where where you can then also find Lumo Education and International School Services and all the things we do. Um, and but on the CISO Schools website, you'll learn more about the, the Finnish education model. How exciting, guys! I think this is just so so cool. I literally feel like I'm talking to like Orville you know, the Wright brothers here. Like it's it's literally like this this giant leap forward that's just ready to start happening for people who have the courage to to follow science, you know? Just like people have the courage to understand science about climate change, the people have the courage to, you know, to I don't know, it took a lot of courage to electrify whole cities, right? And put in light bulbs everywhere. It takes courage to adopt technology in science. And I, I feel like that's what that's what you all are doing in this such an inspiring way. So I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for wanting to talk with us. We are a very kindred spirit, Adam. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Santa and Laura. And we'll put more information in the show notes for people who want to get in touch with Sisu Schools. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.